All right, stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to go to Luke, and this is the experience, part two, our Christmas series. This is Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. The word of our Lord, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and concerted what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father in heaven, open up our hearts, Lord God, to your word. Lord, you tell us that, Lord, there were people in your time who you would be speaking to, but they didn't have ears to hear. They didn't have eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, that we would receive your word, Lord God, and the miracle of Christmas would not be something, Lord God, that we may get a taste of, Lord God, a few times, Lord God, every December, but something that lives in our hearts and burns in our hearts brightly, Lord God. A bright star, the morning star, living in us. Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Okay. The Christian life. The Christian life. And uh, a whole lot of people uh, this time of the year, they get all religious. It's Christmas and Easter time, right? C&E Christians. And, uh, you know, some of you may be fitting into that category. You're visiting us today. And, um, you know, you go to church a couple times a year. Uh, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. Most people say, oh, you're religious. I'm the most unreligious person you ever want to meet. Ask my family. They will tell you. The words that are used in the Bible to describe the Christian life to know God, to know Jesus. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Genosco, to know him in your heart, to know him in an intimate way. The Christian life is described as walking with God. When you walk with someone, you walk shoulder to shoulder, you walk hand in hand, you talk to each other, you commune with each other, and you're moving in the same direction with each other. The Christian life is described as fellowship, koinonia, koinonia meaning communion, sharing one's life with another, God sharing his life with you and you sharing your life with God. The Christian life is described as friendship, friendship with God. Friendship is, is defined as an enduring affection, an enduring trust in another person. And the Christian life is described as an experience. 
It's an experiential relationship, it's an experiential friendship, it's an experiential fellowship, and it's an experiential walking together with God. Now, for those of you who study the Word of God, you realize that, because you see it throughout, from the book of Genesis to the book of the Revelation, you see that relationship. It is not a religion. Don't get religious. You know, God ain't into religion. God don't dig religion. I'll tell you, in fact, Jesus, his biggest problem was with religious people. It was not with the people who were humble, who were seeking him with all their heart, and who wanted to have a relationship with him, or were having a relationship with him. So let's look. I'm going to look today. We looked at Joseph last week. We're going to look today at Mary. And of course, we're going to look at her son. So the first thing I want you to notice here is a humbling experience. So the passage I just read to you, this was a very humbling experience for Mary. In verse 26 to 28, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. God chose Mary out of every woman who has ever walked the earth to be the mother of his son, the mother of the humanity of Jesus, not the mother of God. God doesn't have any mother. God is God. He was here before all things. But God chose Mary above every woman who has ever been born, every woman who has ever walked the earth. And to fulfill the prophecy and the prophecies of Scripture that God's son would be born, obviously he would be a male child, he would be a descendant of David, he had to be a descendant of Judah. He had to be a, a, a descendant of Jacob. He had to be a descendant of Isaac. And he had to be a descendant of Abraham. So he would have to be human. And yet he would also be God. Isaiah 9.6 describes him as the mighty God. And the way God accomplished that was through the virgin birth. God bypassed, understand there were two great things that God bypassed, for those of you who are studying with me on uh, Wednesdays, this last couple of weeks, God had to bypass sin, original sin, and he did that through the virgin birth. He also had to bypass a curse that came upon one of the kings, Conaniah, and he did that through the virgin birth. So Mary is chosen amongst all women for this great ministry of, again, being the mother through the virgin birth of the Son of God, being the mother of the humanity of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, 46 through 48, again, you see that Mary was humbled. In verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. There are teachings in the Roman Catholic Church that say that Mary had no sin and she was sinless. Obviously, she wouldn't need a savior if she didn't have sin. She calls God her savior and then she says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant and behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. The, the word there, lowly state, the word is tapieno and it, it talks about humiliation. If you, look at, if you look at Mary, by the world's standards, Mary is just a young peasant woman. 
a peasant girl from Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said about Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was this insignificant little town. She wasn't a movie star. She wasn't Tyler Swift or... Can I vent on you for a moment? Can I, can I vent? We watch a little football. Occasionally we turn on the Kansas City Chiefs. I am so sick of seeing Taylor Swift jumping up down, cheering for, what, what's his name, Kelsey Grammer? Kel you can see, like, I'm, I'm really up to date. <laughs> she wasn't. She wasn't a movie star. She wasn't a rock star. God chose this woman this humble woman coming from this lowly estate, and he blessed her above all women. I, I was once, uh, many years ago, at a meeting with like, probably a thousand Christians, and there were pastors representing churches throughout the area. There were probably about 200 pastors there. And um, they gave me, like, I guess it's like the pastoral MVP award for the year. So it was like they honored me as the, the pastor of the year. I just want to tell you, I stood up there totally humbled because I knew how unworthy I was of it. Total, I'm totally unworthy. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to false humility. Just, I'm telling you, I was just totally unworthy of what they had given me. And if you, you understand Mary's situation, that's what's going on with Mary. She realizes she is totally unworthy of what God had now bestowed upon her. So it's a humble experience. The second is the who am I experience. Verse 29 through 30. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She's confused. She's troubled at the angel Gabriel's greeting, which was rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. Mary here is, is, is looking here at, at a, into a heart, and she's saying, who am I? Do you ever have a, a, a who am I moment? God sends the angel Gabriel to her, right? He gives her this, this wonderful word of blessing, you're highly favored, blessed amongst all women. And Mary here is just saying, you know, who am I? There's a, there's a wonderful song. I'm going to read to you the first stanza of the song. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way? For my ever-wandering heart, not because of who I am, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you've told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. You ever just stop and ask yourself, who am I? Who, who am I to be doing 
what I am doing here this morning. Forty years ago, I was living the, the typical American secular me life that you see most people living, right? It's all about me. I care a little bit about the people that were closest to me. I wasn't interested in Jesus. I wasn't interested in God. I wasn't interested in the Word of God. I wasn't interested in the church. Could care less. Didn't bother me what people were doing, but I just, I just didn't care. I wasn't interested. And yet, he found me. You know, people say, I found the Lord. I didn't find the Lord. He found me. I wasn't looking for him. And he chose me. And he called me. And he saved me. And he forgave me. And he brought me into a relationship with him. And he anointed me to preach and teach the word of God, which is what I've been doing for the last 40 years. For 40 years, Jesus has done nothing, nothing but good for me. Just 40 years of, of, of blessing. In spite of my failures, in spite of my sins, He has always provided, He has always protected, He has always healed. Who am I? If you are, if you are a true Christian, if you, are, if you have truly been born of the Spirit, and have Jesus in your heart as your Lord, as your Savior. You have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And I can guarantee you frequently have who are my experiences. You just are so blessed and you say, who am I? Well, Mary is having a who am I experience. Third thing, God's favor experience. Verse 30 through 33, it says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. See the word favor? I, I highlighted it in, in, in red. That is the word charis. That is the word grace. Right, grace is a is a free gift, right? You cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do, right? It can't be bought. Grace is what God has given us through Jesus Christ and our salvation. Grace is something that is simply received. When one receives the true grace of God, it transforms them. The person who receives that grace of God, they will instantly become thankful. They will have a, a, a thankful heart that the Lord has saved them, that the Lord has forgiven them, that the Lord has, has redeemed them and brought him or that person to himself. They will have joy. They will love God. They will have a, a trust in God. They will have a desire, essentially, to please God. Mary is a woman under the favor of God. The baby in her womb, 
is called the Son of the Highest. That's divinity. He is God. He is the Son of God. When Jesus proclaimed that, the religious Pharisees called him a blasphemer. Why? Because you, a mere man, claim to be God, and they were attempting to stone him. And then it tells us that he is the son of David. He is, he is God the son, the son, not a son, and he is the son of David, the descendant of David. He would have the DNA of David in him through the lineage that comes through Mary. He is both God and he is both man, divine and human. Right? I'll give you a, a good picture of this in John chapter 1. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of His only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. What it speaks about, there is the Word. Jesus is the eternal Word of God, and yet He became flesh. He became human. Fully God, fully man. Fully divine, fully human. The passage... Uh, Actually, in between verse 1 and verse 14, it tells us, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, <clears throat> who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you know the same favor, the same charisma, the same grace that came upon Mary? God offers it to us. He offers us that experience. The same Son of God, the same Son of God, the same Son of David that lived in Mary's womb can live in your hearts if you will believe and receive Him into your lives. Jesus was born through Mary. We can be born through Jesus. The fourth is uh, the miracle experience. Verse 34 through 36, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. In verse 34, Mary questions. She needs to understand what's going on. And so what you have here, let's see this picture. Mary's womb, right, before the virgin birth, or essentially the miracle of the Holy Spirit, was empty. It's, it's barren. And the Holy Spirit is overshadowing her, hovering over her. And he is now about to do the miracle of the virgin birth. I want you just to go back with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. The words there are bohu and tuhu in the, uh, in the Hebrew. It's, there's no, essentially, just barrenness, emptiness. And the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right? Remind you of, of Luke chapter 1, right? And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
God just spoke the word into Mary's womb, and you had, right? That is where the child, right? Jesus, that life begins. The miracle, the miracle of the virgin birth, you see the miracle of creation here. Think about your life. God created you. Right? Right? You sure? Sure he created you? And yet, right, we were empty. I was empty. I'm filling my life with all kinds of stuff, filling my life with, you know, awards and my personal achievements, but my life was empty. 23 years old. We had a lot of stuff. We didn't have any problems. But we were empty. There was just something missing, right? There was bohu and tohu inside of us. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over our lives. Sue and I, the Holy Spirit was hovering over our lives. Wanted to get in. And then God spoke the word. And the light shined in our hearts. And the light of the world was born in our hearts. And that light has been shining ever since. That, that, that same, again, work that God did in Mary on a spiritual level, he does in us. If you haven't let him into your heart, he's hovering over your life right now. If you don't know Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he's there trying to draw you to Jesus. He wants to shine that light that illuminates the soul, that illuminates the heart, that enlightens. He wants to shine that into our life. I'll give you another, I'll give you another illustration here. Look at the place where Jesus was born. And essentially what it tells us is that Jesus doesn't tell us that he was born in a stable. It just tells us that he was placed in a manger in swaddling clothes. So then we, we deduce that it obviously was uh, a stable because that's where the manger would be found. There were no, there were no wooden stables in, in Bethlehem. There are caves. That's where they would, would put the sheep. And by the way, there were no sheep, right? The sheep were out in the fields. We know that when the angels came to the shepherds. So um, I'm sorry to disappoint some of you, but Jesus was not born on December 25th. Jesus was likely born sometime in late September, early October. You go back to my message last year where I said, I can show you the date that Jesus was born. I don't want to sound that prideful in saying that, but I believe I can come real close. Thanks to John the Baptist and uh, a number of other historical things that are revealed in the scripture. But he was born in a cave. And essentially it's, a, it, it's dark it's damp. I've been in those caves many times. And they smell. Because when the sheep go in there, they do poo-poo all over the place. They're very unsanitary places. And the manger is, is you know, made out of stone. I'll tell you, there's, there's, I mean, there's some caves that are there in Bethlehem and above the caves there have been some archaeological things found that there were, was an inn that was built over um, a series of them, probably one of the most accurate archaeological places for, um, for the life of Jesus that you'll find in Israel. And, um, but it was, you know, it was you not a stone, and it was a place where the sheep would eat. 
Kind of like our hearts, right? Like our souls. Our, our souls, right, without Jesus, are dark. They're damp. They're cold. And they can be smelly, right? Mine still smells a little. He's cleaning it up. He's sanitizing. He's cauterizing. Still smells a little. But Jesus comes into the stable of our souls and he makes his throne the manger of our hearts. And that dark place becomes illuminated. Right, that, that smelly place can begin to, to smell of the sweetness of the presence of God. And that cold place can become very warm. Last point. The surrender experience. So in Luke chapter 138, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Christian life is an experience. I believe it is the ultimate experience. It is the ultimate everlasting experience. But it comes to us through surrender. It comes to us when we, when we surrender to the Lord. When we, we put our trust in Him. I think there's a, a, a difference in the words. There's a difference in the words in the Bible between belief and trust. And I think sometimes they're used different by the authors. See, people, people will say, I believe, right? I, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. It even says that the demons say they believe. And they shudder. Obviously, they're not, they're not saved. They're not in a saving relationship. But, you know, people say, I believe. I, I believe. You know, I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, I believe. But there's a difference between I believe and I trust. You see, this chair here, I believe that chair could hold me. That it could hold my 200 pounds. Right? I believe that. A lot of people are like that with Jesus, I believe. But that doesn't put me in the chair. You know what puts me in the chair? I trust. When you trust him, you're going to rest in him. Trust is the essence of surrender. And I say this, the Christian life is an experience that you enter into by surrendering, by coming and sitting in the chair, resting, knowing that he will hold you, that he will support you. So Mary, Mary, I mean, this incredible act of this young woman, let it be to me according to your word. I want you to, to go forward 34 years her son is in the garden. What did he say? Basically he said the same thing. 
slightly different words. Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's what Mary was saying, your will be done. Now, here's, the, here's Mary who surrenders to the will of God for her life and says, let it be to me according to your word. She now is entering into, again, this life with God, this deep life with God. And as we looked at last week in the life of Joseph, Joseph it's a life of crisis. And it's also a life of blessing. I want you to, I want you to look at the crisis that she enters into. She has to go and tell Joseph her beloved, right? This is, this is her, her beloved man. This is the man that she is going to be married to. I mean, this is the man that she is in love with. And she goes to tell Joseph that she's pregnant. And we know from Matthew chapter 1, he didn't believe her. I mean, if you were engaged and your girlfriend came up to you and said, I'm pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit... He, did, he, didn't, he didn't believe her. So he now plans to give her a certificate of divorce, which was a nice way to divorce her because according to the law, he could have had her stoned. So here the, the highly favored woman of grace in the eyes right, of her future husband is experiencing disgrace. She enters into the crisis. She has to go and tell her mother and father. I wasn't there. I don't know if she waited to start showing. But she had to tell her parents. Could you imagine her parents and this woman again, selected amongst all women. This, this young woman had to be so special. She had to be so unique. She had to have such a, a rich, intimate relationship with God. And now she comes and she tells her mother and father that she's pregnant. And again, she enters in, this woman of grace, into disgrace. And the relationship with her father, this is, this is an a Orthodox Jewish family. Her father's name was Heli. You know how we know that? The Bible tells us. Luke chapter 3. She goes to Father Heli, an Orthodox Christian man. This is, this is a man of, you know, of the law. He's the man of the law of Moses. He understands what the law said about a woman who is having sexual relations and has not been married. And I mean, his, his heart is broken. You ever have your kids break your heart? Imagine this. He's in a place of massive disappointment. His beautiful young daughter of character and kindness. So there had to be anger. There had to be bitterness. Right there, there had to be maybe moments of rage. And then... 
there's the little town of Nazareth. You know how people can be in little communities? You know why I think a lot of people, they come to church and they come late and they leave early? I think a lot of people, and I say this not in a mean way, I think a lot of people have been so wounded in churches. They've been judged. They've been gossiped about. Maybe they've been slandered. That they come to a church, and we see you, you know, and they never really open up their life. They never really open up their heart to other people. But there's, there's pain. They're, they're really on guard. And that may have occurred in another church. That may have occurred just in life, in their family. But a little town the gossips. Gossip is a sickness. Gossip is a disease. Gossip feeds on rejoicing on other people's failures and their sins and their misfortune. Gossip thrives on rumors. You know the rumor that was passed around in the first century about Mary and Jesus? That Mary's son was the son of a Roman soldier. You find that in some of the uh, early writings. Makes Jesus a bastard. You know that many tests about being truly saved, the Bible's filled with them, but I believe one of the tests when you have truly been transformed from darkness to light is when you no longer feel good at other people's misfortunes. You'll feel their pain. You carry that pain with you in your heart. Then they have to right, head off to Bethlehem. And that trip was a 90-mile trip. It took five to six days. I mean, she's pregnant. Imagine having to travel. And there must have been a donkey. I think Joseph would have definitely provided that because I don't think she could have made it by foot. But, I mean, that's just, again, that's hardship. That's crisis. And then, again, his birth, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger. It was unsanitary. It was dirty. I mean, Joseph, Joseph had to be embarrassed that, hey, I couldn't get you into the inn. But I'm sure he cleaned it up. I'm sure he cleaned up the manger. I'm sure he made it as sanitary as he could. But it, it, is, it is not the place you would think that the king of kings would be born. Eight days later, Eight days later, they go up to dedicate Jesus, circumcision. They go to the temple. And there's a man named Simeon, this, this wonderful man. He's one of my favorite people in Scripture, though he's only given a few verses. Maybe I relate to him now that I'm getting old, because he was old. God said to him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. God's promised one, you're not going to die. And he rejoiced when he saw him, because now he could die. How about that? He knew he was going home to be with the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verse 33 to 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Notice what he says here. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce through your own soul. What was he talking about? Right again, project yourself into the future 33 years later, right? Who's at the cross? 
Mary, Mary, John, right? Mary, Mary Magdalene, who had a very special and unique relationship with Jesus. There's no question. This was, the very, this, this was a loving relationship. John, the one who said over and over again in the Gospel of John, I'm the one Jesus loved. He's the one who put his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper in this very you know, intimate moment. And he listened to the heartbeat of God. And then Mary, his mother, who watched her beloved son nailed to the cross. Watched him hang there for six hours. Watched him, him say to John, John, behold uh, right, thy mother. He said, woman, behold thy son. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For he's suffering our hell on the cross. See, the physical suffering was bad enough. The emotional suffering was bad. But the spiritual suffering is, there was some type of separation that happened between his father and him that's never happened through all eternity and will never happen again. And we don't understand it. The theologians don't understand it. I don't understand it. How could God, right? How could God experience some type of separation? In his humanity, maybe? I thirst. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Today you will be with me in paradise. It is finished. And Mary has the front row seat of watching her loving son die. The cruelest death ever. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Crisis. Sometimes uh, I have to laugh. I listen to some invitations given by preachers and they're not the invitations that were given by Jesus and are given by the apostles, but it's like you just come to Jesus and your breath is never going to stink again. You're going to always be happy. You're going to always be healthy. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everyone's going to love you. That's, what did Jesus say? Count the cost. There's crisis, but there's blessing. So let me just flip it for just a couple of minutes. There's a surrender that brings blessing. Think of this, the blessing of holding the Son of God in her arms, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of David, the privilege, right? Just, you know the privilege of holding your children in your arms? You know how special it is? Aaron let me hold his, his little boy today. He's so tiny. Nathaniel is now 18 months. He's bigger, but this precious little child, I'm looking into his little eyes. I didn't want to breathe on him, so don't breathe on that baby today when you see him. Don't breathe on him. Say, so look, look from a distance. Say, oh, he's beautiful and wonderful. The privilege right, of holding your grandchildren in your arms, looking down into their little eyes, Right? You know that joy, you know that warmth, right? 
Those are, I call them eternal moments. By the way, parents, grandparents, cherish them. They go by really fast. Cherish them. You're busy. I know what it is. Look, you're busy. You're trying to provide for your families. You're trying to keep your marriage intact. You're here at the church doing things, right? You've got all this stuff you're going on. Try to stop and smell the flowers and just take them in and look at them and enjoy it. Savor it. It's special because it goes by fast. So just the blessing of Mary holding Jesus in her arms, looking right, looking right into the eyes of God. Blessing. How about the blessing of comforting him when he would fall and scrape his knees and scrape his elbows like little boys do? Comforting the comforter. How about the blessing of just watching him grow each day? In wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2 verse 52. The joy of watching, right, just our children and our grandchildren just grow and develop. Watching them learn. You know, Mary taught the living word of God to read the word of God. She taught him to write. She taught him to pray. She's teaching the omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise God. How mind-blowing is that? In the movie A.D., and this is the movie A.D. that was uh, done in 1985, there is a scene. I have not been able to capture it. I would love to show it to the church because every time I watch it, my eyes swell up. But it's a scene that you have Mary and you have the apostles and the disciples in the upper room uh, on Pentecost. And um, Mary is teaching them and talking to them about what it was like being the mother of Jesus when he was a child. And she tells this story. She says that, that one day he cut his little finger on a nail and he began to cry. And she came and she comforted him and she says that his crying gave him an appetite. So she said she was making some stew, some lamb stew, mutton stew, with some herbs and um, with a little wine. And that when he began to, to eat it, uh, his lips got all stained from the wine that was in the stew. And uh, then she said, and then he began to woof. He was woofing bread. You know what it is to woof? It's to eat real fast. <laughs> woofing. He was woofing bread. And then one of the apostles, he, he says, woofing, and they all laugh. And John the apostle, he says, like any little boy. Like any little boy. And then Mary... She says, it seems so normal. It seems so normal. The Son of God, incarnate in human flesh, walking amongst men. It seems so normal. And she said, you never know. And then Peter says, 
You never know. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in the movie Pentecost. You know what? Just, you never know. Today could be the day where he comes right into your life and you are never the same again for all eternity. It's Mary just blessed. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you another video here. I'll show you just one video. This is when Jesus would have been older, now Joseph is in the picture when Jesus is 12 and he went up to the temple on the Passover. Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, Joseph is there with Jesus when he was 12. Joseph is not in the picture when Jesus starts his ministry at 30. So Joseph, Joseph died sometime between when Jesus was 12 and when Jesus was 30. So Jesus, the eldest son, would have become the head of the house. He had four brothers and a number of sisters. And you know when, when, you know those, I love those commercials, Jesus gets us. Four brothers and sisters living in a small house. You know the things that go on, right? Some of you may have this going on tonight or tomorrow. Family stuff. Jesus gets us. He knows about this family stuff. But this is a scene where Jesus, the carpenter, took over his father's business. This is from the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, but it's an absolutely beautiful scene. I think I've showed it to you before, but let me show it to you. Yeshua. Yeshua. Hi. So we, we don't know, you know, if that exact scene happened, but we believe there are probably many scenes that that, that happened. Again, the Son of God, very special woman, and uh, the incredible relationship that they would have had. I want to share. I want to share one more blessing. When Mary was at the cross, I mean, look, 
Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself, but Mary suffered. A mother who has to watch her beloved son die like that. I mean, it was emotionally draining, spiritually draining, psychologically draining, physically draining. That happened on Friday. You know when you have trauma in your life, you may have been removed from the trauma, but then comes the next day and the next day, and all those chemicals, the adrenaline, the insulin, I mean the changes in the, the brain, the neurotransmitters, there's, there's trauma. So Mary, she, she believes he's going to be raised. I don't think she doubted that. But that trauma is still there. And they're in the upper room. Could you imagine what it was like when he appeared <laughs> glorified? The blessing, he appeared in his glory that Sunday morning, uh, that Sunday afternoon, and I mean, here was this woman's heart who was torn apart, and all of a sudden, it's being put back together <laughs> in this miraculous way. Wow. She gives us a picture uh, in her life of a relationship. The Christian life is a relationship. Right? John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We can know him. We can experience him. We can have fellowship with him, and he will be the best friend, I promise you, the best friend you have ever had. Mary carried Jesus in her womb, for those nine months, we can carry Jesus in our hearts forever. I want, to say one, I want to say one more thing. I get this from people. I get people saying to me, you're just lucky. Like, you're lucky with what you have. You're lucky with God coming into your life. It has nothing to do with luck. For God so loved the world, he loves you. It doesn't... It's not, he's not in the real estate business. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, right, they would receive the gift of life and not perish. He wants all men to be saved. He, want, he wants us not just to, to be forgiven, but to come into that relationship with him. That is God's desire for you, for every one of you, for those of you watching, for those of you who will be watching a year from now. You can have this wonderful relationship with Jesus if you'll open your heart, invite him in. Amen? Amen. And what a Merry Christmas you'll have. It will last throughout the year and years and eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, always above all for your son, Jesus the Son of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, our King, our Lord, our Savior. And we thank you, Lord God, just for the faithful Mary who surrendered her life to you, Lord God, entered into crisis, but entered into blessing. I pray, Father God, your blessing upon all, and before they leave, Lord, let them just draw closer to you in their prayers. Let them just draw closer to you, Lord God, in this time as as we just praise you and glorify you. And we thank you, Lord God.
In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to...